invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find the book of Romans, chapter number 8, Romans 8, verse number 15. So one verse today, Romans chapter number 8, verse number 15. Michael Jordan was visiting one of his friends, and his friend was showing him his closet, and in half of his closet... He had Nike gear, the other half he had Puma gear, so Jordan took all the Puma gear, took it out, threw it away, told his friend, said, listen, don't you ever let me catch you with anything other than Nike. You can't ride the fence. When we get to Romans 8, verse 15, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is writing to us believers saying, look, men and women, boys and girls, you're either living according to the flesh or you're living according to the Spirit. You can't ride the fence. So today I want to speak to you on the subject of a pivot drill. A pivot, the verb form of the word pivot is to, is to turn as, as if on a pivot. Now in basketball, that term is referring to a movement that the player who's holding the ball makes as he or she keeps one foot planted con, with contact on the ground and pivots with the other foot move as they wish with the other foot. So today the Holy Spirit, my prayer is, is going to convict us as believers to pivot away from living according to the flesh and pivot toward living according to the Spirit. And for any unbeliever, non-believers in person or online, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will cause you to pivot from being far from God and pivot to being near to God. So that's that's our prayer as we unpack this one verse in Romans 8, verse number 15. And here's how Paul writes it. So if you're there, say, I'm there. If you're not there, that's okay, because the verse is right here. <laughs> uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll see it on your screen. So Romans 8, verse number 15. Here we go. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Father, we do pray, uh, Lord, as you guide us and lead us through your word today, we, we do pray that, God, you would challenge us, convict us, encourage us to pivot today to pivot away from living according to the flesh and pivot to living according to the Spirit. If there's anyone who has never put their faith in you, personal relationship with you, I pray today they'll pivot and draw near to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, all right, here, here's the takeaway. A Spirit-filled life is a fulfilled life. I know your life is full, my life is full, our lives are full, but are our lives being fulfilled? The only way you're going to live a fulfilled life on this earth is a spirit-filled life, period. A spirit-filled life is a fulfilled life. Robert Mount said it like this, how to live in and by the Spirit is the single most important lesson any believer could learn. 
think about that. Of all the things believers can learn, Robert Mount says, hey, the most important, the single most important is to live in and by the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. It's a fulfilled life. So under this umbrella of a fulfilled life, I want to point out three lessons that pivot out of this text. The first lesson is this, you no longer need to be afraid. I'm not saying you will not be afraid. I'm not saying there's times when you won't be afraid, but you no longer need to be afraid. Coach Ron Polk, Mississippi State, the former Mississippi State baseball coach, was sharing how he was once thrown out of a game versus Arkansas because he was arguing balls and strikes with the umpire. And the the exchange got heated, and the umpire just had enough. He said, look, coach, you need to go where I can't see you. You're out of here. Go where I can't see you. Coach Polk said, and I quote, so naturally, I went and stood on home plate. Some of y'all are getting that about now. Man, that's no fear, is it? I mean, just absolute no fear. Hey, if you fear the Lord, there is absolutely nothing else to fear. And no one else to fear if you fear the Lord. And you no longer need to be afraid. And I love how Paul says this. And again, remember, we're in a series, I'm calling it the final fours, and here's the preposition four that's featured in this verse. It's actually the first word in the ESV version. So four, uh, you, see the word you. Now the you there is referring to the church. It's not referring to the whole world. It's referring to those who have been born again, who are heaven-bound. Heaven-bound folk. We got any heaven-bound folk in the room today? Got any heaven-bound folk online today? Yes, it's for the heaven-bound folk. This is for the, the folks that have been made into a new creation in Christ. Those who have been ransomed, saved, transformed by Jesus himself. It's referring to those who are the forgiven of God, the family of God, the children of God. It's referring to those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, it's referring to those who identify as Christ followers. I'm so glad I identify as a Christ follower in Christ. That's who this is referring to. Those who have been delivered from their sin debt because it was paid in full by Jesus. That's who he's referring to. And notice what he says to him. As for you, for those who were born again, you did not receive the spirit of slavery. Something you need to recognize here in this verse. Look at the spirit here. The first letter is lowercase. Somebody say lowercase. All right, the spirit here is uppercase. Somebody say uppercase. That's important to understand. This word spirit is referring to a state of, a condition of, a temperament. We no longer, once we're in Christ, have a temperament of slavery and bondage. We no longer are in a state or condition of bondage. For you did not receive a condition of bondage. You did not receive a state of slavery to fall back into fear. That's not what we received for those who are in 
Christ. The Holy Spirit, in other words, sets us free from the performance-based relationship. No longer are we in a performance-based relationship with a living God when once we become those who are in Christ, we're now in a positional relationship. We're in Christ. That's the position we hold as the church. It's not based on our performance. It's based on our position. Think about it like this. If you are not confident in what God says, then you will become a slave to what everybody else says. You got to be confident in what God says, or you'll become a slave to what everybody else says. Anything that causes a believer to fall back into fear, anything that causes a believer to be overcome with fear, anything that causes a believer to fall back into bondage and slavery is not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't make slaves. The Holy Spirit, He makes sons and daughters of God. Uh, yes, yes, Satan is weaker than God, so don't be fearful. But he's mightier than you, so do be careful. You have to have confidence in what God says, or you'll become a slave to what everybody else is saying. And, and the truth is, we don't no longer in Christ have this condition of slavery where we fall back into fear. In other words, as a believer, we don't need to be living thinking uh, that at any moment the shoe's going to drop. At any moment, God's going to pull the rug out from under me. No, the Holy Spirit has set us free from fear. We have freedom from fear in Christ. Isn't that good news that you've been set free from fear? My glory, that's good news. Paul said it like this to Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, right? But of power and love and self-control. John says it like this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love cast out what? Fear, <laughs> exactly. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears is or has not been perfected in love. So here's what happens oftentimes as believers when we slip back into this, when we uh, fail to live according to the Spirit and we start living according to the flesh, this is what happens. We have this mindset, some of us, that we have to live by a set of rules. We have to live by a set of do's and don'ts. That always leads to legalism. And legalism is this. Here's the problem. Legalism is any attempt to please God on the basis of what you do or don't do in the flesh. That's what legalism is. Again, it's any attempt to please God on the basis of what you do or don't do in the flesh. And that always fosters fear. That's the problem with trying to live by a set of rules. Because you'll live in a place where you say, well, if I'm not going to measure up to all these rules. What if I break a rule? What, what if I don't keep that rule? And what if I stumble? And it's just fear, 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 fear. Now, rules are not necessarily bad. Rules are good. It's good to live by the rules. Do not steal. That's great. The Ten Commandments are awesome. But the Bible doesn't stop at the Ten Commandments. It doesn't stop there. There's much more to follow. Namely, love, grace, mercy, Jesus. Right? I mean, we, the law only shows us that we can't live by the law. And if we try to live our Christian life by a set of rules and do's and don'ts, we'll fall off into legalism 
which will be gripped by fear. And here's what fear is. Fear is something that has you. Faith is something that you have. We're to have faith in God. We're not to have fear in God. Are we to revere God and be in awe of Him? Yes. Are we to live in terror of Him? No. No, we're to have faith in Him. We're called to have faith in God. And there's a stark difference between fear having you and you having faith. There's two different languages. Faith and fear do not speak the same language. They absolutely do not. So my question to you is, are you speaking the language of fear over your life? Or are you speaking the language of faith over your life? You see, fear says this. Fear says, if I don't do this, God won't love me. Faith says, I do this because God loves me. Fear says, if I lose control, I'll have to do damage control. Faith says, I'll give up control because in reality, I'm not in control. Fear says, if I don't do it, it won't get done. Anybody speak that language? If I don't do it, it won't get done. Here's what faith says. God supplies all my needs even in this. Fear says the worst case scenario is about to happen. Faith says the worst case scenario, it can't happen. It just can't because God abandoning me will be the worst case scenario. And that can't happen for a believer. Fear says it this way. Where will I find the money? Oh, if your first thought about anything you ever do as a family or anything you ever do in your life is how much is this going to cost? Where am I going to find the money? Then listen, you're, you're speaking the language of fear. That's what you're speaking. Language of fear says, well, where am I going to find the money? Here's what faith says. My God will supply all my needs. Fear says, what if I get sick? What if I get the virus? Or what if I get that virus? Or what if I get this virus? That's what fear says. What if I get sick? Here's what faith says. God always heals. He always heals. He always heals. It's just a simple matter of when he heals and where he heals. But he always heals. Fear says you'll always be alone. Faith says you'll never be alone. Fear says batting down the hatches, a storm is coming. We may not survive. Faith says, I know the master of the wind and the waves. He will either calm the storm or he'll be my calm in the storm. Fear says, guard yourself. Don't love too much. They'll take advantage of you. Faith says, love like Jesus loves you. Fear says, if you don't take care of you, no one else will. Faith says, God is my Father. He'll always take care of me. Fear says, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this tough time. Faith says, great, even great parents allow pain in some limited portion for their children when it serves a greater purpose. Fear says, God will never give you that good thing because you don't deserve it. Faith says, I deserve nothing, and yet look at all the good things God's given me. If he so desires to withhold something, he has good reason for it. Fear says, look out for number one. Faith says, live for an audience of one. Fear says, life will never get better. It will only get bitter. Faith says, this life is the worst it will ever be. For heaven is far better. Fear says, you are not enough. You are not enough. Faith says, amen. You're not enough. 
But greater is he who is in me, and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And by the way, he's enough. Fear says, but see how dark it is. Faith says, what a great opportunity to shine the light of Christ even brighter in this darkness. Fear says, God won't come through. Faith says, look at his track record. Fear says, grasp your life and your stuff tightly. Faith says, lay it down and watch what God does. Fear says, death wins. Faith says, death is already dead. Fear says, control it. Faith says, cast it on him. Fear says, you must dismiss hell. You must erase hell. Pretend like there is no hell. Faith says, you can miss hell and you can escape hell. Fear says, worry about it, worry about it, worry about it. Faith says, worship through it. Fear says, it all depends on me. Faith says, it all depends on him. Fear says, what if, and imagines the worst. Faith says, even if, and believes for the best. Fear says, who says? Faith says, God says, I believe, enough said. You no longer need to be afraid. So which language are you speaking? Which language is your life speaking? Church, let me tell you something. God has called us to be risk takers. If you're going to make disciples who make disciples, if that's even going to be on your radar, I'm not talking about having a group of friends that we hang out with all the time. I'm talking about and just being a church that stays in one spot all the time and just never reaches out, never goes anywhere, never, never participates in reaching the community that we're in in our Jerusalem, if we just hold for it and hold, that's not taking a re- that's not making disciples who make disciples. We're, we're called to be risk takers. And we're called to believe God and not fear that. We, are, we, we haven't been given a spirit of fear. You no longer need to be afraid. Here, here's the second lesson we need to focus on. You're no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. One of the key points in this text is the difference between slavery and sonship. It just, it just jumps off the page. You, you did not receive the spirit of slavery you receive the spirit of adoption as sons. See sons and slavery, sonship and slavery. Think about it like this. I know that having a social media account is like having children. Uh, they both, and they're like having children in this way. Both of them can make you really mad and laugh really hard all in the span of about two minutes. Right? I know that. But no longer are we to be afraid. No longer are we be to uh, be enslaved by this, that, or the other. No longer are we to be in fear. We are now sons, daughters, children of God. If you're in Christ, so here's here's what Paul says in verse 15. But you have received the spirit of adoption. I, I love the way he uses the word "received." It means to obtain or to take hold of or to get, or to lay hold of, or to put on. You have received this. And it's in the aorist tense, which means this. It is talking about a definitive point in time. That point in time is when you become converted. At your salvation, when you were born again, 
you received all of the Holy Spirit. Amen? <laughs> For the believer, the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have. If you're in Christ, you got all of it. The question is how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? you got to be filled with it. Right? And so you, you are no longer a slave to sin, death, fear, etc. Now you are a son, a daughter, a child of God. And that happens at conversion. When you're saved, for me personally, this happened for me not when I was baptized as an infant, not when I joined any church, not when I went through confirmation at 12 years old. It didn't happen for me at any of those times. It happened for me by the time when I was convicted of my sin, hit my knees, cried out for Jesus to save my soul, got up off that floor different than when I got down. Before I hit my knees, I had no hope, no peace, no joy, no satisfaction. When I got up off that floor, now peace, now joy, now hope, now satisfaction is mine because I now have the Holy Spirit. And he's given me a spirit of adoption as sons. And so I want you to understand, as Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, in him, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel of your salvation is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus died in your place, paid the penalty of your sin, they laid him in a tomb. The third day he was raised from the Jesus, Jesus even said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? So it, here's, here's, here's why Paul asks it this way, or says it this way. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. Remember, Jesus said, do you believe this? Paul said, yes. I heard this, I believe this in Jesus, and I was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit in that moment. We receive a spirit of adoption as sons. Now, to help us grasp this idea of adoption, I think it's important for us to understand that Paul used the word adoption five times. Somebody say five. Five times in the New Testament. Three of those five times are found in the book of Romans. So as Paul is writing about adoption in Romans, he has in mind Roman adoption. It was a, a phenomenon in, in Paul's day. Roman adoption worked like no other adoption to that day had ever worked. It, it was, it's quite fascinating if you've never studied Roman adoption in the first century. It's really quite fascinating. Let, let me give you an, an example. I've heard testimony of people that have said to me, of course not in all cases, the majority of cases of adoption have been very positive, very positive. I have had a few people in my lifetime come to me and say things like this, Adoption can carry, again, not all the time, but it can carry the idea of second-class status in the family for the one who is adopted. Now, in Roman adoption, that was never the case. Because Roman adoption, you need to understand the Roman family. In, in, in a family, in a Roman family, the father had absolute authority to do whatever he wanted to do. He had absolute authority over the family. If he had a, a son, for example, that had no skills and abilities that he wanted the son to have, then he could go out and diligently search for a son to adopt who had those skills and ability. He would adopt that son, and that son would then take precedent over the natural-born son. He would be held in higher prestige than the natural born. And upon the father's death, his whole estate didn't go to the natural children, went to the adopted son. 
That's why this is so important for us to understand. Think about that. Every previous relationship in that adopted son's life in a Roman adoption were severed. Think about that. Every sin in your life, the penalty of that sin is paid. And every chain is severed when you come to faith in Christ. Think about that in terms of a Christian being adopted into the family of God. It's a phenomenal thing to grasp. And I pray the Holy Spirit will help us grasp this because here's the truth. In, in Roman adoption, all previous relationships were severed. The adoptive father deliberately chose a son uh, to perpetuate his name and to receive his entire estate. The new father exercised authority over the son. The new son immediately had all the privileges, all the rights, all the responsibilities of the natural born son. Here's what God is saying to you and I, believer. Here's what he's saying. God is saying that the new believer needs to be aware that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Why is it worded this way? Because God wants you to know, child of God, that you're a child of God. God wants you to know you are no longer an orphan. That's not just truth. He wants you to know that truth. He wants you to live your life under that banner of truth. You're no longer an orphan. You belong to the Creator God. Jesus has put you into the family of God. You're no longer a slave. You are a son, a daughter, a child of God. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. Another way that we can live in a faulty way as a Christian is not only by a set of rules and do's and don'ts and taking a loan. That's very dangerous because it leads to legalism, which drives us off into fear. Another way we can get off track and live according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit is to live by formulas. You've heard these formulas. Six ways to live by the Spirit or four ways uh, to Christian victory or... Uh, so many ways to have the perfect marriage, or all these formulas. Again, formulas are helpful. They can be helpful, but we sh- and they have their place, just like rules have their place, but they must not replace us living by the Spirit. Because if you live by formulas, you're going to become enslaved to the formula. We're not given a spirit of slavery. That's what it says right here. But a spirit of adoption as sons. There's something far better God's given us than formulas and rules. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? (laughs) That's what he's given to. And the Holy Spirit, he's our intercessor. He's our God. He's our helper. He's our companion. He's our teacher. He's our empower. He indwells us. He leads us. He loves us. He gifts us. Man, you can't make it without the Holy Spirit. But you don't have to if you're in Christ. You're no longer a slave you no longer need to be afraid. And number three, here's the third lesson. You're no longer alone. You are no longer alone. No longer alone. Did y'all hear me, church? We're no longer alone. I know I'm not alone in using that pencil. You remember that pencil that you would use to roll up that spool of plastic uh, film, that magnetic tape, and get that tape back into the cassette tape. You remember that pencil? 
You had that perfect pencil that would grab it just right and spool that tape back into the cassette. Am I the only one that's ever done this? Anybody ever? Anybody ever? Yeah, you, you roll the... My, my first cassette tape was Run DMC. <laughs> I wonder what yours was. What was your first cassette tape? And I, I'd roll that tape back into the cassette, right? Well, the person who made or invented the cassette tape, he, he died this week, 94 years of age. He also helped invent the CDs, compact disc. He did not help invent eight tracks. Anybody remember eight tracks? I'm too young to remember eight tracks. Anybody remember eight tracks? Brad, you need to raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm far too young for that. Vinyl records, etc. All these all this technology used to capture sounds and, and voices and, 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 and instruments and then for us to listen to. This, this is, is not given to us in a cassette, not a CD, not an 8-track, not a vinyl record. But this is the Word of God. And He gives us this for us to understand we are not alone. We're not alone. Let, let me show you how Paul... Man, what a way to say this. The Holy Spirit is incredible. So you, you have received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of adoption as sons by whom? Who is the whom referring to? The whom is referring to the Spirit. It is the Spirit who causes us to cry out. It's the Holy Spirit who causes us to exclaim and to shout and to proclaim. It's the Holy Spirit who causes us to cry out, watch this, Abba, Father. Daddy, Papa, Papa, Father. I know we just sang a song and I ask us to sing it. I'm no longer a slave, I am a child of God. And that's true. But what I love about this verse is the focus is not on I am this or I am that. That, that tends to, when we make it about us, like I'm a child of God, I'm a son and daughter of God. I'm, when we make it about us, when we make it about me, when we make it about I and my, that tends to foster entitlement, doesn't it? Entitlement. Well, God has something greater for us than entitlement. It's called intimacy. So when we say God is my Father, which is where this begins, it begins with God and it ends with God, and He's my Father, that doesn't cultivate a spirit of entitlement. That cultivates a spirit of intimacy. That the Creator God is, is my Father. And intimacy develops dependence and confidence on Abba Father. And notice, it's the Holy Spirit that causes us to do it. We don't cause ourselves. The flesh will never cause you to cry out, Abba Father. The flesh will not do that. It's the Spirit that causes us to cry, Abba Father. And notice, Jesus prayed that same way in the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen? He prayed, Abba Father. That's how Jesus prayed. And the Holy Spirit is affirming that and confirming that in believers. That's how we pray as children of God, Abba. It's an Aramaic word meaning father, daddy, papa. The word picture is that of intimacy and dependence and confidence in the Lord. 
Rabbit Hill said it like this. I love the way he says this. Maybe my favorite quote that I have in this message particular. A man who's intimate with God never needs to be intimidated by men. A a man, a woman, a boy, a girl who is intimate with God never has to be intimidated by men. So here's another faulty way we try to live the Christian life in the flesh and not in the spirit, and that is by way of experience. Now, experiences are awesome. I love it when they happen, when we have that deeply moving, life-changing, emotional experience with God. And they happen, and they're good. They're awesome. You've experienced it maybe at a camp or maybe at a revival or maybe at just an event in your life. That I mean, it was just a moving, life-changing experience you had with the Lord. Praise God for those. Praise God for those. But the problem is, if we live only according to our experiences, we're going to feel alone. Because you're not always going to live in that mountaintop, deeply moving experience all the time. They don't last. Be still and know what? Be still. So if you live according to these experiences, there'll be times in your life when you feel like you're, and you'll have conversation with God. You got to let me know you're there, God. Let me know you're there. Give me this experience. Give me that experience. That's not what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit makes us cry out even when we don't feel like it. I'm not alone. That's what this cry means right here. Abba, Father, God is my Father. I'm no longer alone. He will never forsake me. He will never leave me. We have something far better than rules, formulas, and experience. And his name is the Holy Spirit. The second person, uh, this, this person, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the way we receive him is through the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would say to unbelievers, either in the room or at home, you can have the Holy Spirit. You can If you're not in Christ, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, you don't have the Holy Spirit right now. And the truth is, you can't have the Holy Spirit unless you come to God the Son. Unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus. The only way for you to get the Holy Spirit, the only way for you to have no need to be afraid, the only way for you to no longer be a slave, the only way for you to no longer be alone is for you to surrender, throw your hands up, and come to faith in Jesus alone. That's the only hope you have. But once you do that, you'll have the Holy Spirit. Immediately, God the Son will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will indwell you immediately. You'll be marked and sealed forever. No longer needing to be afraid. No longer alone. No longer a slave. But now a son, a daughter, a child of God. I'm going to show you how to pray to make that step here in a moment. Either if you're in person or online. Believers. We need to pivot We've been living according to the flesh. We've been speaking the language of fear. And we need to pivot. We need to speak the language of faith. We need to live according to the Spirit. So I'm going to ask you in a moment, not right now, when we stand in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come to these, this, these steps. I'm going to ask you to pivot. I'm going to ask you to come and ask the Holy Spirit to help you say, no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit.
It's time to pivot. A spirit-filled life is a fulfilled life. And, and, and we see this. Why? Because you're no longer orphaned. You're now adopted. You're no longer born once to die twice. Now you're born twice to die once. You're no longer comfortable in your sin. Now you're confident in the Spirit. You're no longer delighting in your truth. Now you're delighting in the truth. Why? Because a Spirit-filled life is a fulfilled life. You no longer are empty on the inside. You're overflowing on the outside. I love this one. You you no longer are feeling like you have to feed every desire of the flesh, but now you're being filled and you're being fed by the Spirit. You you no longer are a gossip conservationist. Now you're a gospel conversationalist in Christ. You no longer headed to hell. Now you're headed to heaven. Why? Because a spirit-filled life is a fulfilled life. You are no longer identifying as a sinner trying to be saved by works. But now you're identifying as a sinner saved by grace. You no longer are judged by the penalty of your sin debt. Now you're justified by the one who paid that sin debt. You're no longer living according to the world. Now you're living according to the Word. Why? Because a spirit-filled life is a fulfilled life. No longer are you a people without a pasture. The Bible says now you're a people of His pasture. No longer are you ruined in sin. You're renewed by the Spirit. No longer are you troubled in your hearts. Now you're trusting the Helper. No longer are you looking for another sign. You're listening for that trumpet sound. Why? Because a spirit-filled life is a fulfilled life. Would you stand with us today all across this room? At home, you're worshiping online. Stand to your feet. 